Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 64. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. I'm Greg Monty. And today we have a variety of different topics we might cover. We could start from any number of different places, so... I'll just maybe throw out one of the places uh, that we were going in the past week or so. So there was an article on Donald Miller's blog, storylineblog.com. It was the September 25th installment on his blog. And I follow him on Twitter and I usually like he I usually like a lot of like a majority of what he has to say resonates with me. And I was surprised that this particular article did not resonate whatsoever. And so I threw it over to you, Greg, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) you immediately left a comment, (laughs) a very direct comment. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think, and then as I think we were talking before we got started, the idea of rigor that that's actually come up in a previous podcast. I, who knows which one, uh, and so that idea was kind of bouncing around, I think, based on some experiences you've had recently. So mm-hmm. where do we go? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's one of the things I really value about you. I really appreciate that you, you, you just, you cast the net so widely, you know, you, you've got, you're always throwing links in the Skype chat and, um, <laughs> you know, what do you I'm think of this? Good at and- derailing your day sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Though I tell you, with my new time management plan, I am ready for this. This is amazing. This new new time. Share I, your I, new time management plan with the listeners. I don't even know what it is. Uh, All I, I know got, is you're just on it every day. What's going on? Well, you know, work just kept invading Saturday and invading Sunday because I work from home and I work remote. Well, I work remotely essentially, and uh, so you know, whenever Which you I need do too, computer, I can relate well, to. Okay, yeah. So we're, but you know, when you're near your computer, it's like, uh, do I do I take a look or what about this situation or that situation? And then I always found that I kept it's just this not enough hours in a day sort of thing, which we all experience, and yet I think I I have a tendency of really pushing that, and I kind of allow my uh, yeah, like even our interest on the podcast or my interest about whether it's philosophy or theology or trying to kind of express uh, some of the hesitations that I have about, you know, whatever book we might be reading or, you know, try to express the positive direction I want to take it in. I, I, I don't sort of just cut that off. I find it really difficult to do that. And so I've got this new plan. My wonderful spouse, Susan, uh, we kind of talked about it. We, we looked at, like, what does the day look like and what do we really want to accomplish? And we just decided, you know what? No working on the weekend. Just it's no longer happening. And so we've that's totally blocked off. Last weekend worked great. No work on the weekend whatsoever. And then uh, certain times at the end of the day that can be counted on 95 plus percent of the time. And I'm now like I work for a school. This is the this is the busiest season of the year. And I can 
she's able to count on me finishing at the end of the day when I'm supposed to, and it's working. So is the idea that you have, is there like a kind of a buffer or a catch-up period that you've already agreed to at the end of the day? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, this is, yeah, it it might seem extreme. I'll see what you think about it. We're all about extreme here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah, so I start. I should be careful what I open there. Go ahead. Yeah, you never know. Um, I get up at 7 every day. I start work at 7.30 every day. I work until 6.30 every day. So that's 11 hours right there. And then I've got three days a week where because we're in Switzerland now and I'm working for, you know, a school that's based on the West Coast, Pacific time, I have afternoon, I have morning meetings there, which are evening meetings here. So instead of trying to account for just work hours, I account for all of my hours. And I put down, you know, there are three things in my week in addition to to work that are standards. One is working on like podcast and say, theological research or philosophical research and the other is exercise and the third one is this kind of wild card and i've got a certain amount of hours for each one of those i've actually got an hour and a half a day for exercise an hour and a half a day for theological research and i've got four and a half hours through those five days for libri activities whether that's a meal discussion or a lecture or a tutorial and it means that the week is pretty full. Yeah, I was just going to say that sounds very full. It's extremely full, but it's at this point, I think we're really working on um, reliability. So can I be reliable with the time? Am I not working on the weekends at all? And yes, that's I'm not working on the weekends. And do I stop at 630, you know, pretty much barring barring something really unforeseen with work? Yes. And then I've got certain times I'm back three, three evenings. I've got I've got two evenings I'm back. Actually, one of the evenings I don't stop at 6.30, I stop at 8, just because of my meeting layout. But it's working, so we're getting time together. Weekends are fully there. And we're kind of, you know, this is probably a little extreme because we're here at Libri and we're trying to take advantage of some of the extra things that are taking place. And once we leave here, at least one of like that that wild card four and a half hours a week of Libri time is going to be probably rolled back into family time. Mm-hmm. So, so how does that think, relate? Bring us back to how does that relate to this Donald Miller post? Um, well, I mean, it's it's allowing me to have the time where I don't have to feel like I'm sneaking it in or oh. <laughs> feeling guilty or whatever, you know. And it's amazing, I guess, putting that all down and just having that up front with my spouse. How she's just at this point, she's willing to say, okay, you know. Um, this is the this is a step in the right direction. That's amazing count. how well things work when both people have the same expectations. Exactly. So much better. <laughs> so much better. I say yeah. from 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 lots of pain and experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, even, I, and I, even when you think the expectations are clear, they're not always clear. So anyway, well, the, that's the, a whole the, podcast the, in itself. Yeah, I know. The, the cool thing about this one is we sat down together and she said, What if you did it this way? Oh, and that I is look, cool. And so she's the one that set it up, you know, and she's working with, uh, you know, an unusual situation where we're, we're away, living in another country, participating in special events every week that we wouldn't ordinarily be participating in. But that way, yeah, she's definitely on board with it. So that's great. 
Now you had mentioned the you had mentioned the Donald, Donald Miller post. Yeah, so this post was titled "The Character Trait That Pleased Jesus," and the <laughs> the whole idea of the article. I haven't looked at it since I sent it to you, and I'm skimming it now. The, okay. The whole idea of the article, I th- think, was that that Jesus valued people that just kind of blindly trusted him. Yeah. Which sounds a little too reminiscent of some other books that we've been critical of. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and I I was a little surprised actually to to read this and I just thought I'm not even sure that this is what John 6 is he was Donald was quoting from or working from I guess maybe not quoting so much but working from John 6 and I thought he made a couple interesting comments but I just thought man really like sounds like we're coming across as though we don't really have any good reason for believing this but we're believing it anyways and I just thought I don't want to I'm I'm not in that group. I don't want to get lumped in that group. Yeah, I mean, for me, that just fails a basic lot, a simple logic test. Like, what, yeah, why, why would you believe something that doesn't make any sense to you? I would qualify yeah. that though and say, I I will say there are, I have had experiences in my life that don't make sense to me that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. I still trust them, mm-hmm. but to place a real high. To I don't know to place this high value on. Well, I wonder if that cuts that ties back in with your earlier comment about rigor. You know, which doesn't have to be this hugely in-depth academic analysis of of let's say every every time you're you're using the Bible, but 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 I think it should be a degree of um, awareness that when you read the Bible and you say it means what it means is the way it strikes me, then you risk being in a position where, you know, it may strike you in a way today that might be different than it strikes you tomorrow. Or basically the way it's striking you is, um, out of, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not cohering with maybe the way that the, um, it would have struck somebody back then. And so I think we need to take that into consideration. And I think my my point to Donald was both, um, you know, on the one hand, let's be careful about not just thinking that the way it strikes me is the best way to read it and what it means. And also that because if you can make of the Bible whatever you want, or if you can, I'm not saying that he was doing that, but I'm saying if the potential is that it just, it means what it means to you then it doesn't really have much to say to me, much that's distinct or much that can have any sort of sense outside of, well, here's how I take it to mean, what I take it to mean. Yeah, I, I think that was my main point there. And um, but, the, whole- but I think this is, <laughs> I'm thinking back to, as at number 56 or 54, where we mm. received some fairly critical feedback that, to our approach. In other words, mm-hmm. some might say that we are being, quote, too rigorous. And so where's the, where's the fine line? I mean, and, and I think, yeah, I think rigor does fit. So I was skimming back to this article. So under the heb, under the subheading, he's not praising the smarties, he being Jesus. 
Uh, Miller writes, Instead, he's pleased with the faithful, those who will follow when there seems to be no reason to follow and when it looks like they are going to have to do a hard thing and there's no way out. And from the disciples' perspective, what is expressed towards Christ is not love or devotion. Instead, it's incredible belief. They believed he was the Son of God, even though they also probably believed he was strange. The facts then, in their minds, were that the Son of God was a strange man who talked about cannibalism, and, well, that's unfortunate, but what else are we going to do? <laughs> that's just, I don't know, that's such a mix of, of, of like, yeah, I agree, but then, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Well, go back there at the beginning there, you were talking about, he's not, Jesus isn't, isn't, uh, connecting or, or, or favoring the smarties, you know? And I, I guess I would say, you know, we all, it doesn't matter if you're smart or not, or if you're rigorous or not, you're always having, like, it's not like you're getting rid of faith, but I think that there's, there are ways of, of, um, expressing and embodying faith that are different and so that are better or worse. You know, this notion of, of, of blind faith, of being, I don't know, uh, simply, simply following something. Uh, I think that's pretty questionable. Well, especially with the disciples. They didn't always, I mean, for, yeah, <laughs> maybe I got this wrong, but if you go through the, the gospels, they didn't always believe he was God, or at least they didn't act like they believed he was God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes yeah, they were. Know. Sometimes, like you know, they're on the ocean, and the 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 storm comes up, and or the not the ocean, the sea, and mm-hmm. they're afraid they're going to drown, and he's asleep in the back, mm-hmm. or when he was uh, taken to be crucified. You know, I mean, there are all these. You one could argue, well, if they hundred percent believed he was God, then they wouldn't have been worried. Instead, they bailed. Well, yeah, exactly, and I think the other the the, the big point that. The other big point that I took out of that, not just that the Bible can mean whatever it means, whatever, it, however it strikes me, that could be its meaning, but that that understanding isn't important, you know, and that that, they're, that the disciples are not focusing on us understanding so much as just just being obedient and believing. And I think I think the message we're getting throughout, even even in sections like I was, uh, you, you know, um, the beginning of Mark there, and it's it's got this kind of quotation in Mark 4 from Isaiah, which is incredibly harsh. I mean, this is one of those things where you think, oh my gosh, really? That doesn't seem to have any place there. I'll just read it. Uh, it's, it's after he had uh, given the, uh, um, the parable of the sower in Mark 4. And this is Mark 4, verse 10 through to verse 12. And I think the whole thing bears reading. Obviously, I don't want to read just a little bit on the one hand, but, but this part is the, the shocking part. When he, being Jesus, who were alone, those who were around him, uh, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. In order that, and here, here the text is, in, is indented as though a quotation, and indeed it's a quotation from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. In order that, and the quotation, they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. That's the end of the quote, or the quotation. But, but even there, right, and one of the things I mentioned in reply to Donald Miller was, okay, I, that, that may give me the impression that understanding is not important at all, and indeed that I can't understand, and indeed certain people aren't supposed to understand. It might be 
almost seen as a tacit endorsement for, or maybe less than tacit, of uh, um, yeah, a Calvinist predestination perspective, right, in the Gospels. But if you read somebody like um, Rhodes and Mitchie, Donald Rhodes, and I'm not sure what Mitchie's first name is, Rhodes, Dewey, and Mitchie are three authors who wrote a book called Marcus Story. And they'll talk about the use of parables in Mark. And so that's kind of what I was getting at is that, hold on, you know, you might be reading, in this case, Donald Miller was referring to John 6. You might be reading this correctly. But you know what? These things can be tricky. And particularly when you say something like understanding is not important. That <laughs> then, then I'm that's like, hard as well. no, that's what caught my eye. I was like, wait, so we're just supposed to just turn our brains off and just trust and and that's what jesus really values something something smells off about that yes and that comes back to this notion of rigor which is really saying okay you know what rigor is basically what do i do when i approach something and it smells foul well you know what or not foul some i think the the even more tricky ones are the ones where it's like it smells foul and then it smells okay and then it smells kind of good and then it stinks again and you're just like, what is going on here? That's the, yes, I agree with you. That's a much better way of putting it. A little it. sweet and sour. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got both things. Like we had a lecture that happened here just a little while ago and uh, a couple of lectures uh, and it was interesting watching the people. I had heard this person lecture before and had some issues with some of the perspectives presented. And it was interesting watching people how, and, and they, they just, they're like tracking, tracking, and then they lost their, it's like, what? And it was the same thing, I think. Maybe not as, maybe, I don't know that they would call it foul. Uh, some of them seem to from their comments, but they at very least were like this, oh, okay, okay. And then, huh? And then going on, uh, okay, okay, sort of accepting, and then, huh? And I guess, yeah, the whole rigor really is, what do you do when you get to a place where you're, this is what you're experiencing? And on the one hand, I think rigor involves this, this kind of ambidextrous, this two-sided, you know, dual approach of looking at me and saying, what skills do I lack in this situation that would help me assess this content better? And then what sort of perspectives are being presented here that may not actually go together? And So what, what do I need to do in terms of looking at me and my ability? And what do I need to do in terms of looking at this content? Right? And it's all going to be you know, it's all going to come back to developing skill sets for yourself. But I think it's it's maintaining a disposition that says, uh, this doesn't smell right. But then again, that might be that I'm not too experienced or I've got expectations with regard to some of this material that maybe are not the best expectations for me to have. And then just, you know, getting back into it, getting into the material and saying, well, what do I know about this? So I was listening to this lecture and I think some of the expectations I had as I was doing that, um, being somebody who, who you know, comes, has, a, has an academic background and applies a certain amount of rigor to my perspectives, you know, I had the thought, well, okay, tell him what you think. Tell the lecturer what you think. And I realized, you know what, it's really hard. And I think 
what I meant is it's hard to be able to present a concise package about what you think on a particular subject in such a short span of time. And, you know, so I guess rigor is also having some adequate expectations about yourself. You know, what, are, what should you expect? If you're, you know, engaging with a blog post or a lecture, how much time and how many times might you have to read that blog post and, and realizing that, that it's okay. You know, I might have to read Donald Miller's blog post three times before I say, okay, I really understand what he's getting at now. And now I can go and kind of dig deeper. And you know what? I was just thinking, I'm wondering, you know, I was just thinking, I'm wondering with this particular post if, like, it it seems so, I've read two or three of his books. Mm. I read his blog on and off again. It The post, I, I just kind of wondered to myself, I wonder if this post came out of something else that we don't have the background on. I mean, it just seemed to come mm. kind of out of the middle of nowhere, mm. and it just doesn't. For some reason, it just doesn't strike me as something that he would normally write. So, I, interesting. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, and again, and that can happen. You know, sometimes if you've got something there and you've written a a longer piece, and you think, oh, this might make a good excerpt for a blog post or whatever. I mean, I've done that myself. And then, yeah, who knows what the feedback might be? I was kind of surprised too. I th- I thought I thought people would would shoot a bunch of arrows at me because. You know, everybody else was, there were like these brief kind of, I That's don't know. That's just what I needed to hear today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that you know, was my reaction. <laughs> and I, I think that's the other thing that, that, that kind of, that kind of strikes me about this whole thing with rigor is that maybe one of the reasons why we're hesitant about being rigorous is like, I was sitting in there in these lectures and I was thinking to myself, I'm watching people. I'm literally watching people, people's faces change expression. And I'm sitting beside, in each case, I'm sitting beside somebody and we're a bit removed from the lecturer. We're at the back of the room by a good amount. And, and we can exchange comments. And I'm hearing the, the, the person I'm sitting beside in, in first the one lecture and then the next different person. And they're both sort of making comments and, and realizing, you know, maybe I've got more background here, but it's a real pain in the ass. When you have to put, like, I, I don't like doing this, you know, like I'd, I'd rather make the comment of that's just what I want to hear today. You know, in other words, there is a real cost to being honest and saying, you know what, I'm really, I really have some big reservations about what you're saying. And I'm really wondering if, if you really want to go down this road. Because a lot of it depends on how people are going to respond to you, which maybe comes back to that whole, um, yeah, the, the comment we had back from from Eric about being arrogant. And uh, yeah, the, there's a risk there. You know, there's certain words that people will bring out and say, oh, well, you are arrogant. You know, and these words are meant to sort of cut us short and to say, okay, you know what? You're out of bounds. You've crossed the line. And um, that invalidates what you're doing. And in some senses, I guess, in some cases, it probably does. But um, do you think there's like a like when it comes to the to the lecture? Do you think? Well, I'm I'm leading the witness. I think I that man that's better. Than <laughs> I think a lot of times in those settings, though, there's kind of a herd mentality. There's mm-hmm. the sense of there's this person speaking to us. 
Mm-hmm. Remove it from a church setting. In a church setting, it's like the pastor is speaking, and because they're the pastor, they automatically have more answers than everyone else. Mm-hmm. But in a speaking setting, I think that's often kind of the way things are set up. This person is speaking to us on this topic because they've prepared more, thought more about it than we have, than most of us have. And mm-hmm. so as they're presenting, even if they're presenting something wacky, I've been in the, a lot of those situations where it's wacky, but everyone's kind of on board because everyone else seems to be on board. And so, in other words, it, it, yeah. it I don't know, herd mentality. And so I see that in this, to me, there's a herd mentality in the comments to this Donald Miller post and the herd mentality of, we saw it in Not a Fan and we see it other places. It's the... The herd mentality of Jesus, you know, be a freak for Jesus. Jesus was a freak, and it didn't make sense. And that's the whole amazing part of this is it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's the best thing in your life that you could ever want. So just sign on the line, you know, just accept the freak gift because it's it's awesome. You just don't know it. Well, can you explain it to me? No, it's a mystery. It's God. Isn't that amazing? I don't know, like, well, well, wait. So, in other words, I think that, that yeah, we get to these these places where things don't make sense, and then we just say, well, it's a mystery. That's how God works. But what's left out, and you made this really clear in one episode, when you take a section like this of the Bible, or you, you use these examples from scriptures and say, look, you know, Jesus was telling the disciples to do crazy stuff, and they just trusted that he was God, and they did it. That's like that that one section we were talking about where, you know, Jesus calls certain disciples and a, quote, simple reading of the Bible will say, you know, Jesus came along to this person and said, follow me, and they just followed him. And that's presented as the model of, like, what's supposed to happen. What it leaves mm-hmm. out is that surely there was some other interaction that these people had had with Jesus and time that they had spent with him that went way deeper than everything that's recounted in the Bible. Mm-hmm. They had spent yeah. countless hours and experiences with him or seen him in some public... In other words, the way it's painted, and I, this is the part that just gets under my skin because it's, you know, it's magic and mystery. It, you know, it's like I'm just... I'm going for a walk in my neighborhood and, you know, someone just... Someone, uh, or no, say I'm I'm working in my garage and someone's walking around the neighborhood and they just walk into my garage and say, John, how you doing today? Oh, I'm pretty good. Hey, you know what? I've, I've got a, I'm here to change your life and uh, I'd like you to follow me. So I, I want you to just like completely walk away from your house and your family here and just follow me. I'm walking up the street and then we're going to get into my limo and, you know, we're going to go change the world together. So will you follow me? Like, I mean, how does that make any sense at all? Yeah. But I feel like a lot of Christianity would say, no, the fact that you put your trust in this guy without, like, that just to me fails a complete basic intelligence test, would be to follow someone like that with no information at all. And yet, I feel like the way it's set up kind of in this blog post and other settings is, well, no, that's, that's you know... Jesus came to these people and did that. God comes to us today and asks us to do crazy crap. And, you know, we just need to, we just need to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, th- I think on a, on a number of levels, that's really problematic. I mean, uh, Donald Miller's blog is about storyline or called storyline, and, and it, it's, a, it's obviously about writing and story. And, and I think one of the problems with, with, with maybe, you know, not necessarily his perspective, but the perspective, maybe his perspective, but the perspective you've talked about is confusing, you know, the story for the whole story. We don't have the whole story. Wait, wait, say more about that. Confusing well, the whole. <laughs> we don't have the whole story. We've got we've got four different versions of what happened when, for example, in the Gospels, we've got four different Gospels. Three of them being similar in nature, one of them being different. The three being similar. The Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The different one being John, more theological. But nevertheless, they all recount. Uh, uh, they all are a telling of the life of Jesus right put forward so as to convince the reader that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is Messiah and that this is big news and good news and we but we don't have the full story right in the sense that I mean I don't have the full story about my spouse or about my kids I spend a lot of time with them I don't live their lives I don't even have the full story of my own life Woo. Right. <laughs> this idea that how can we know anything? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But it's not about anything. It's about really being careful and being suspicious when somebody says everything. Ooh, okay. The only per- the only entity that has everything is God, as far as I'm concerned. You know, God has this this multiplicity of perspectives who knows omniperspectival i don't i don't know how you want to express it right trying to get in and think the mind of god is seems like even a, a greater thing than than trying to think you can see from god's perspective we can't do either you know so we have these texts and they're meaningful they're significant they give us the, i think i would say that they're sufficient but i would not say that they're comprehensive or exhaustive I mean, an exhaustive story of the person is that person. You know, and the only way you're going to have an exhaustive story of a person is if that person has some sort of full, uh, complete, completely accurate self-disclosure. They know themselves in a way that is without error, that is uh, without any sort of finitude or incompleteness. And we as human beings don't have that. Right. It doesn't mean we don't have everything. And I think we often try to do this. It's like when we talk about people talk about, you know, not judge, you can't judge God or all these other things. And it's like, no one's talking about judging God as a, as a, as an equal, right? When you, when I'm talking about judging God, you know, evaluating, for example, some people are at a place vis-a-vis Christianity where they are evaluating the uh, possibility, the, 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 the rationality whether it makes any sense or has any value or has any significance for them to consider Christianity. And part of what they're doing there is they're evaluating a certain perspective on of who God is. Now that, that picture may be rather partial. So obviously it's going to be partial as we're humans and we're finite, but it might be particularly partial. They might be rather what you and I might consider to be underinformed, right? Or, you know, they might have uh who knows what type of information they're using or what their expectations are. But in any of these, whether we're talking about the story, whether we're talking about, you know, examining or assessing, or even if you like judging God, we're always doing this from our own personal, finite, and as, you know, the biblical text would say, uh, fallen perspective. And it doesn't mean we can't get anything. <laughs> when we say that we can't have anything truthful or we don't get, like the Bible itself isn't giving us that perspective. 
right? Which perspective? The the whole idea that 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 human um, faculties and abilities are so broken and incompetent or incapable that we can't trust them at all. That's not what we're getting at all. You see numerous perspectives through the Gospels of people interacting with Jesus, and some of them doing it very well. Some of them have perspectives that are just dead on the money. You know, very interestingly, some of those people aren't Jews. You get a Roman centurion who says, you know, sends a servant to Jesus and says, you know, my servant is ill. Sends this servant to say the other servant is ill. But don't come. I'm not worthy. Or maybe it's the centurion who comes himself. I'm not sure. You know, about the the servant that's ill. I'd have to check. I think it's in Matthew here. And he says, you know, I have people, I think it's a servant. I think it's actually the centurion saying this to, to Jesus. I have people under me. You know, and I say to some come and they come and some go and they go. And his, his you know, line to Jesus is say the word and it will happen. Right? See, we've got people who have a degree of understanding. And they can have better degrees and worse degrees. We're not left in this limbo or this nothingness where we can't count on our own abilities. It's all down to God making it magically happen. And by the way, it's it's mysterious even when it does happen. When you are in relationship with God, the whole thing's still <laughs> mysterious anyways. So you really didn't have anything to go on to get into this relationship. You got nothing to go on when you're in the relationship. It doesn't make sense. Just go with it. <laughs> oh, that's such a great summary. Like, who would go with that? Who would buy that? Would you buy that in any other area of your life? No, but God's in a different category. (laughs) Yeah, but you're not. (laughs) You are not. You never cease being the you who is situated and human, you know, finite in other words. You have a certain amount of access to who you are. You can, in in terms of like a, a sense of your motives and your intentions, that can be enhanced and improved by by doing things like I don't know reading certain books. Uh, Ray, Brene Brown makes some really good books about some of this stuff. Maybe going to some counseling. Some counselors are very insightful. Can offer you insights into who you are and how you work, what's going on uh, in your life. Yeah, a variety of ways. But we're not we're not left in this kind of. You're you're still you when you're reading the Bible, just like you are when you're mowing your lawn. It's a different exercise, but your faculties haven't just kind of changed. So even if God's different, then let's say, I don't know, reading the Bible is different than reading a recipe book is different than reading a storybook in some senses. It's much closer to a storybook than it is a recipe book. Or reading, I don't know, a physics textbook. You're still you. And I think we've, I don't know, We've given up a tremendous amount. You know, God has given us these faculties to be able to relate to God and given us this world within which we can weigh up what it is, like who God is, what this relationship can look like. And when we, when we kind of cast all these things aside, I have no idea how we're not being thoroughly dishonoring to God as Christians. God's given you a brain, use it. God's, God's put you in a world to be, to relate to others, to yourself and to God. Do so, you know, do so to the best of your ability. And then, then again, best of your ability, that's coming back to this idea of rigor, right? Develop some of these things, not so that you're, you know, uh, frightened about making mistakes or you're, you know, you're tired to death because you just, you've got to be exhaustive on every little thing you do. 
But I think there's, there are degrees of interaction that are appropriate. And well, or, or interacting with the ideas just to find all the things that are wrong with it. Yeah. I'm not advocating that. I, I mean, people might take that away from my presentation, but I think the the way to sum up this, what, where we're going with this is when presented with an idea, mm. it's perfectly acceptable and it's, it's actually a good idea to ask yourself, does this idea make sense based on what I know, based on what I know, based on what I've mm-hmm. experienced, based on what I know, based on maybe other things that I could refer to or look up? Mm-hmm. And if they if there's a conflict there, then yes, it's worth exploring. Is that being too critical? I don't think so. If it's hey, let let's read this article and let's find every single place that that we disagree with him or that we think he got it wrong, and we're just going to enumerate those things and be done. I, no, I don't think there's value in that. No. Well, you know, I hear you actually asking why it's right. I don't hear you kind of digging around for ways, various ways in which it's wrong. I'm, I hear you saying, Hey, show me how this works. Show me why this is the right way to go. Show me why this is the right way to see the world. Yes, yes, yes. Cause I want to get to what's right. I want to get to what makes sense. I, yeah, there's, there's too many other things I want to do besides, yeah, there's not enough time to, <laughs> to focus on what's right. I think I was silently or subconsciously replying to that perspective that says, you're just too cynical. You're just being critical. You don't really want to get anywhere. You just want to, you just want to keep throwing up roadblocks. Yeah. And this, this for me is misplaced faith. This is bad faith. This is somebody who says, for whatever reason, I've chosen to accept Christianity, but it's not a reason that's going to convince you. So I'm not going to give it to you. In fact, I may not even be aware of it. I may believe and be a Christian because my parents are because everybody around me is, because the implications and consequences of not being a Christian are too damaging to my identity. Well, you know what? Then I think you've got two problems. One is misplaced faith, and one is a sense of identity that's coming from the wrong things in the wrong way. That, in my experience, eventually just falls apart. It's, that's, that takes a lot of energy to hold that together for a long time. Yes, or you become further and further detached this is, and this is something really interesting that I brought out. Uh, I did a lecture, a couple of lectures here at Swiss Library recently. And I think either what happens is you see that you're getting your, your views about the Bible and your views about real life are detached from one another. They're not making sense. They don't go together. There's not enough relationship there to hold them together. And yet, as Christians, we're ongoingly making the assertion that the Bible has everything to do with real life. And I think what happens is people around us, when they hear what we say about the Bible, yet they see how we live with the Bible and that it doesn't relate, it can't relate to real life, they sense that dissonance. You know, and at a very basic level, they're like, hey, you know, this doesn't work at all. You guys are talking about this, but you act about it like that. And I'm not just talking about... Uh, people being hypocritical or sinful, that people don't relate to real life because they, th- in, 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 you know, it's, it's just this whole idea like you're bringing out of, well, help me understand why this is true. Well, I don't have to do that. Well, of course you do. <laughs> and the fact that you don't think you have to do it 
and yet you are claiming that the Bible relates to real life, because this is exactly what people are claiming, right? Christians, particularly evangelicals, are saying, you should be a Christian because it's true, because it's the right way to be, because God's really there. Well, okay, help me understand that. And where we can't do that, we have got a, that's a fairly fatal disconnect. And I think that's something that, that's just not, that's not just a passing issue or a kind of a, uh, you know, you, you can't attribute that to your listener. Like, oh, that person's just not a Christian and they're just, uh, Jesus is just being a stumbling block. I mean, that gets back to some of our very early blog comments or posts, uh, podcasts rather about, you know, maybe it's not about them, Jesus being a stumbling block. Maybe your presentation is so problematic that nobody in their right mind would accept it. And I, I'm, that sounds a bit harsh, but, if we're not giving people reasons to understand why what we're believing is true, you know, and they may not be able, they may not agree with us, but it's one thing for them to disagree. It's another thing for us to say, that's not important. Well, it's very important. The whole thrust of the gospel says that it's incredibly important. So I think we've misunderstood some very basic, some things, some notions that are very basic to the New Testament and to, to the whole biblical text if if we don't think that presenting people uh who are not christians and even christians who you know if we have a certain perspective which you and i are trying to do you know i don't really see us so much uh i don't know i mean i I guess it's a question who's our target audience but i i often picture our target audience as being christians and so i think we have an obligation you and i have an obligation not only to present ideas, but to present the reasoning behind why we hold those ideas. To give people, in other words, a chance to weigh up, to assess the truth um, value within the truth claims that we're making. Well, and I also want to make room for people to ask those questions and raise those objections. Yeah. It's just yeah in terms of and target audience i i mean i put myself in the target audience wanting to sort this stuff out in a place and in a way where mm. there's freedom to say this does not make sense like this blog post you know yeah maybe if we, again if we could sit down and have a conversation with donald i bet it would be really interesting and i bet there's all kinds of nuances that are not in this article that would play out We'd walk away and say, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay, I can agree with that part, or I see where you're coming from now. Yes, I want to create space so that we can get away from this, you know, here, just, you know, read this blog post, and, and isn't that great? Isn't it awesome that God is that way? What? No, I, I don't agree with that. Let's figure out why. Yeah, and I, I guess the other thing I, I would say just in brief, and we talked about this with Kyle Adelman's book, we've talked about this with Darren Hufford's book, and though I, I admittedly, those are books. They're hundreds of pages long. This is Donald Miller, a blog post. It's what, 400 words, maybe five. But it's I, very brief. Yeah. It's very brief. I, but I still think, I still think that if in nearly everything that someone would approach as a non Christian, if it presents a picture that does not make sense, and it doesn't have to be, and I'm not suggesting, right, the opposite. I'm not suggesting it has to, that everything we present has to be thoroughly convincing. I don't think so. Or even have the goal of being convincing. Right? I'm not saying that either. But there's a certain sense in which this does not, what he's presented, 
if as a as as someone who has um you know um been an agnostic for a number of years i read that and i'm my first response is i want none of that that's ridiculous and i think we really need to be careful about that even if it's only to say like we said about like i mentioned about not a fan by kyle edelman or uh, the misunderstood god by darren hufford why not include a, a few provisos in your book? And even what Donald Miller might write is, you know, a little footnote said, this is an excerpt from a longer piece. Yes, yes, I was just thinking that. Or tie it into something else. In other words, yeah. in other words I'm a firm believer that, that every piece of content that you publish or something you write, it should either stand, well, it needs to be able to stand on its own. I just don't feel like this, to me, this piece completely falls over. So, but I've read enough of his other stuff that I'm kind of like, Again, I don't think of this as it just strikes me as like did someone else write this? This doesn't seem like something he would say. So, so yeah, if there's something else to link to or if there's you know, this is the the 10th post of a series of 15 or something like <laughs> link me to somewhere else where I can do a little more where I can like help me tie this all together in a way that I could believe this. But if but yes, yeah. if I just land on this blog post and read that that what that's what is amazing about Jesus and Christianity. Uh, I'm going to ring the gong. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. <laughs> you know, and I think, yeah, he doesn't have to be, yeah. Link me to someplace else or just make a 10 less than 10 word comment. This is, this is an excerpt, you know, more can be found here or whatever. Yeah. Because I, I think, I think as Christians, I guess this is the underlying perspective that I'm trying to bring out, we have an ongoing obligation to be involved with the truth in a way that is, that the truth is both, I guess, a constant concern for us and that there's a degree of intimacy. And I mean intimacy in a positive way right? That I'm always seeking for it, that I'm always concerned about it, which doesn't mean that I have to become paranoid or that I have to become exhaustive and therefore, therefore exhausted by my efforts. Yeah, because I think that's a big part of what we're doing. And I think that's a big reason why the church has lost so much credibility. And the, the church, quote unquote, isn't going to necessarily get that credibility back. It's going to be people like you and me I'm not trying to lump you into a category that you don't, you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not trying to put you in a category. I don't know what, I don't, I'm not trying to give you a like. I don't a even know what category I'm in. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not making a, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, oh, no, what okay, I hear you see. saying is, what, what I hear you saying is that there's, there needs to be room to, to ask these questions. Not only room, but I think it's just got to be, a, it's got to be, you know what, this is coming right back to rigor. It's got to be this way of being in the world that is part of who we are. It's in our skin and it doesn't need to be a neurotic focus. And it is not just something that we do sometimes. It's part of who we are. Uh, one of my favorite books uh, on, uh, on the subject of forgiveness is called Embodying Forgiveness. Uh, by L. Gregory Jones, who's down in Duke, at Duke University, as far as I know still. And one of the points he makes is that it's not a practice, it's a way of life. 
And I think rigor and attachment to truth are not practices, but ways of life. And they are not sort of these wooden, brittle ways of being, but there's always, again, for me, it's coming back into this major and primary tension between love and truth, truth and love. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 64. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.